Good morning, good morning. Man, what an incredible time we've had together already. Uh, listen, my name is Todd Connitz. I have the privilege of serving as lead pastor here uh, at New Beginning. So if this is your first time to join us, thank you for being a part of our online uh, service. And wherever you are, we want you to know that you are a welcomed guest. One of the things we'd ask you to do uh, is if you would let us know that you are our guest today by texting NBBC to the, to the numbers uh, 313131, NBBC to the numbers 313131. We would love to know uh, that you uh, have joined us today. We would love to send you a gift as a way of saying thank you for being uh, our guest uh, today. I also want to give a welcome to everyone who is watching all over East Texas and really all over the world. Thank you for joining, joining us for New Beginnings uh, Online. And we're, we're looking forward to the day. We're moving closer uh, to the day when we can gather back together uh, as a church family under uh, one roof so that we can uh, worship. And I know that uh, in this room, I'm, I'm having the privilege as we enter into phase one uh, of our re-entry. Uh, I've got a few eyeballs staring back at me today, and this feels amazing. Um, because I'm, I'm tired of looking at the camera. But listen, uh, as we work toward this, we have some leaders and, and, and different staff members and their families here helping us get prepared in a few weeks. Prayerfully, uh, we will be reopening uh, to the public, and we'll have more information for you in the days to come. Listen, we're, we're continuing a series that we started just a couple of weeks ago called Unstoppable Church unstoppable church. And so what we're doing is really looking at the reality that Jesus, upon his resurrection, ignited a movement, and that movement is unstoppable. And that movement we know as uh, the church of Jesus Christ. And so that Jesus, in his resurrection, calls a people, gathers a people who uh, confess him as Lord and has sent us on a mission. And that movement and that mission uh, will continue until he uh, return. So in week one, we, we talked about the church gathered, how, how under this confession that Jesus is the Christ, that he died for our sins and that he resurrected, this is what Jesus is building the church upon. And this is really what causes the church to be the church. It's the, the gathering of those who would confess that Jesus is Lord. And then, of course, uh, last week, uh, Pastor Matt brought an incredible sermon to us uh, talking about the power of of the church, and that not only has there been a gathering of people, but uh, those people, you and me, uh, called the church, we have been given uh, the presence of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and we have been given the message of the gospel. And the presence of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of the gospel is what fuels the power of the church of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to continue in this, and we're going to see a church united. We're going to look at the, 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 the scriptures today and discover that, that God has united us, not just as a gathering of people who would occasionally meet in a building, but rather we are united around a message, and that message that brings us together transcends anything that might uh, separate us um, as people. And I think this is important that we understand that we're a part of something much bigger than ourselves. I think all of us in our life uh, want to be a part of something that's bigger than us. I think about in a couple of, of months, prayerfully, as, as things begin to move the right direction, as uh, society gets back to somewhat of a normal, uh, we're all anticipating the kickoff of college uh, football uh, season. And I think everybody in Texas, you have your teams, really all over the United States, we have our teams and we cheer our teams on. And there's just something about having your team on game day 
And whether you're going to the game or whether you're uh, going to watch the game uh, in your home, there's just something about putting on your colors, getting ready to gather, whether it's in front of the television or in the stadium, uh, to cheer your team on. And what's, what's powerful about uh, the gathering called football season, specifically college football season, is that it brings people together, rallies people around a central cause And that central cause or that central thing that brings them together is greater than anything that might cause a difference or distinction among them. Here's what I mean. I've been to a number of of college football games and you kind of get up early uh, the, the morning before the game and, and you, you're the morning of the game and you, you make your way to uh, the stadium. When you get there, you get out of your vehicle and you're several hours early, but you've got your colors on and man, you're anticipating uh, being a part of this celebration of your team. And so you get out and, and all of a sudden you begin to smell the aroma of uh, barbecue pits everywhere and people have been there hours before you got there. Man, and they're cooking stuff and they're gathered around uh, their, their uh, RVs or maybe their tent that they put up and they're anticipating the coming of the game that's coming in a few hours. So as you walk through there, what I've, what I've noticed as I've gone to those games, it's like it doesn't matter who they are. They could be complete stranger, but if they got my colors on and if they're representing my team, then they become my people. And there's just something about that gathering. Then eventually you enter into the stadium And when you enter into the stadium, there are certain chants that you're going to recite with everyone. There are certain songs that you're going to sing. There's certain uh, ways that you're going to cheer. And then you're going to be celebrating the successes of your team together. There's just something about that. And what's crazy about that stadium experience is that you have got thousands upon thousands of strangers, people from all walks of life, from different backgrounds and perspectives and cultures and races, and yet all of us being brought together around that one thing that's much bigger than the individuals that are in there. And I think, I think the reason we, we love that is because we were created for this is that God has hardwired into the heart of humanity for us to be a part of a people gathered. If you look back at the scriptures, you see that God's intention has always been to gather a people. You see it in the Garden of Eden. He he creates Adam and he places him in the garden. He says, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he creates Eve and uh, the first family is established. And what is the first command that he gives the family? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Why? Because God's intention was for there to be a gathering of people in relationship with him. As we see that sin entered the world and, and humanity was scattered, what do we see? We see God show up in a life of a man named Abraham and tell Abraham, hey, I'm going to choose you from among the people. And through you, there is going to be a people. There is going to be a nation that I'm going to gather. But not only am I going to gather that nation, but I'm going to gather all nations through this nation. And what we're reminded of again is that God's intention has always been to gather a people. A uniting of people together. You, you fast forward and you see uh, Moses delivering God's people, gathering them, taking them to the promised land. So again, God establishes this nation and they're gathered. And now there's this anticipation of the Messiah to come for God to restore humanity to himself. Jesus shows up on the scene, the Messiah. And when he shows up, what does Jesus do? Immediately he begins to gather a people, begins to call the disciples. The crowds begin to uh, form. And then Jesus gives us what we've talked about this entire series in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus says it's upon the confession of who I am that there is going to be a gathering of people, an assembling of people that then is going to go and change 
the world. God's intention has always been not to just redeem isolated individuals to know him personally, although we get to know him personally, but the aim and the goal was to gather a people that we could be united together in him and be a part of something that's much bigger than any one of us individually. And this is what we're going to look at this morning. I find it no accident that on the first Sunday that we are beginning our reentry, we're going into phase one, uh, that we're talking about this church united. Over the past several weeks, we have been a, a church that has been separated. And praise be to Jesus, through technology, we have been able to unite each week. We've been able to unite during the week through Zoom conversations and through phone calls. And, and so while we have been separated, there is still this, uh, this sense of being united with one another because of God's gift of technology. But all of our hearts yearn for the day that we can gather together again and be united uh, as a church under a building, being able to worship together. And as we anticipate that, I just don't think it's an accident that we're talking about this subject on the first day that we're beginning the journey to get back to that place. And, and I don't know about you, but what, what I have had to confess um, is that for so long, the, the gathering of the church, the reminder of what we're united around, which is the Sunday gathering, um, is something that, that for maybe for years I have taken for granted. And in these days where we have been separated from one another, um, man, my heart and my affection toward you and toward the gathering and a desire to be under the roof again together is something that is stirring in my heart. And I really want you to wrestle with this question. When, when this is all over, when we begin to move back into our new normal uh, of gathering together, what, what is church going to look like for you personally and your commitment uh, to the, the body, to what's uh, Christ has established to, to unite us around as our gathering returns. What is that going to look like for you? So I want you to, to think about that. And here's what we're going to do. I want to get you to grab your Bibles as you think about your engagement with the body in the days to come. I want us to understand very clearly what this gathering is meant to be. This uniting together in worship is meant to be. So grab your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're going to be this morning, Hebrews chapter 10. As you're turning there, let me give you just a brief uh, context for the passage that we're in. Uh, the, the, the book of Hebrews is written to a primary, primarily Jewish audience. These believers are uh, have turned from Judaism, they begin to follow Christ, but because of the culture and society that they were living in, many of these believers began to face unbelievable persecution. They began to be rejected by family and friends. Many of them were losing their jobs. They were uh, being run out of the central hub of the community, community which is the synagogue. And, and because of their commitment to Jesus and their abandoning of their former traditions to follow Jesus, it was coming at a great cost. And many of these believers were, were kind of standing in this position of, man, should we withdraw? Should we pull away from the body of Christ? Do we need to kind of second-guess this thing? And so for many of these believers, they were, they, were, they were forsaking the gathering of themselves, as we're going to see in the moment. These believers were saying, you know what, we're, we're going we're to withdraw from the covenant community. We're going to follow Jesus, and we're going to try our best to serve him. But when it comes to being identified with him and his people, this being united as a body, many of them were beginning to withdraw because of fear of persecution and suffering. And so the book of Hebrews is written to these believers as an explanation of the gospel and why it is that Jesus is worth everything that they're experiencing, that all the suffering is worth it. In the book of Hebrews, he, 
He is painting the picture that Jesus is the point of all of the traditions that they were abandoning. Of all of the things that God has called his people to do in the Old Testament, the sacrifices and the ceremonies, that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And he's showing them that Jesus is better than your traditions. And that now you have a relationship with God through the sacrifice of Jesus that you did not have before. And he's doing this to encourage them to persevere and to stay faithful uh, as they follow Jesus in the midst of Suffering. We get into chapter 10, specifically in verse 19. Um, the writer comes to a conclusion. He's going to make a summary statement of the gospel and what we have in that, and then he's going to give some instructions. I want you to follow along in your copy of God's Word. He says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, he says, Therefore, brothers, so therefore is indicating, hey, there's a summary here. There's going to be a, an application uh, of what has been just said. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. Now I want to pause here for a minute because this is packed full of power and we can't miss it. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter. And then he uses this phrase, the holy places. Now, for those who were of Jewish background, their minds would have been blown in the moment. Now, it passes us because that really doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But understand what the writer of Hebrews is saying. When he refers to the holy places, he is referring to the most holy place that was in the temple. You see, God for his people had provided a temple, a, a temple, a place where God's presence would dwell among his people. Because of our sin, God's presence couldn't be in our midst all the time. And so because of our sin, we were kept out of God's presence. But God revealed himself in the temple. But in the middle of the temple, in the most holy place, there was a place where the glory of God would be manifested. But none of the people could go into this place. In fact, if you were to enter into the most holy place, you would die. Because sinners don't belong there only the high priest, one time a year after a lot of, of, of ceremony and sacrifices and preparation, could enter into the most holy place where he would offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. And then he would have to leave the most holy place. And, and the people of God longed to be in the presence of God, but as close as they could come is the outer courts. But only the high priest once a year could go in. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, now... Because of what Jesus has done, the way has been opened for us to enter into the most holy place. That we now, in Christ, have the ability to enter into the very presence of God. That we have the ability to enter into his presence, the place that we could not go because of our sin. We can now go because of what Jesus has done. Look what he says here. He says, by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is what gives us access into the presence of God. Now, look at the imagery here of what he says next. He says, by a new and living way that he, Jesus, opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Now, don't miss this. See, in the temple, uh, what kept people from the most holy place, the holy of holies, was this massive curtain. I want to go into details of this curtain. This curtain was a massive curtain, and, and it was the only entry. It kept people out, and it was the passageway by which the high priest would enter his one time a year in there to 
offer a sacrifice. So this curtain served as an entry only for the high priest, and it was a a way of keeping everyone else out. And here is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He says, now we can enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus because Jesus now is a new curtain. He now gives us access that every single person who has been washed in the blood of Jesus, we now have access to enter into the most holy place. But the only way into that place is through Christ and Christ alone. Why? Because Jesus is now the curtain that we pass through to enter into the presence of God. Now, this is amazing. And then he says this. He says, and since, verse 21, we have a great high priest over the house of God. And now, here is his final statement of the summary of the gospel. We have access to God by the blood of Christ We enter into through Christ because he now is the only means by which we can have a relationship with God. And Jesus himself serves as our priest, our our mediator between God and man. Now, I don't know about you, but this fires me up. This allows my heart to just explode with an, an overwhelming sense of God's love for us that we who are sinners who do not deserve a relationship with God, now we have access through the blood of Christ, through the curtain of Christ. He as our high priest, we now could commune with God because of what Jesus has done for us. Now I don't want you to miss this. The writer is giving a summary of the gospel, but don't miss the plural nature of his summary. Here's what I mean. He says, therefore, brothers, not therefore brother or sister, therefore, brothers. He's speaking to the community of faith as a whole. He's speaking to the body of Christ, not just the individuals who are in Christ. He's he's helping us understand this is what we share commonly. This is what unites us. He says, therefore, brothers, again, look what he says, since we have confidence to enter the most holy places by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have confidence. A great high priest. Do you see what the writer is doing here? He's saying, listen, this is what brings us together, that we share in access to God, that we as the people of God can enter into the presence of God, and this is what links us together. This is what makes us the body of Christ, that we are united in Christ, that we together, collectively, as the redeemed, the people of God, now can enjoy the presence of God together. I think it's important that we understand that the, the aim of Jesus, as we've mentioned earlier, was not to just call individual peoples, but rather to call a peoples. His aim has always been plural, to gather men and women, boys and girls, under the banner of Jesus, that it's not about me and Jesus, it's about we and Jesus. And this is the aim. I think far too often we, we kind of have this, this sense of rugged individualism where it's just about me and Jesus and my relationship and I'm going to make it through on my own and my own strength and my own power. But this was never Jesus' intention for his people. There's no Rambo Christians in the kingdom of God. In fact, if you ever watch the movie Rambo or movies like this where it's like one guy against the world and you watch it and you're entertained, but in reality we know it's impossible 
Because the truth is, if you were to have in real life scenario a person like uh, Rambo, uh, the movie in real life would last about six minutes. He'd come out with his you know, bow and arrow and uh, his uh, uh, machine gun. And at the age of Sylvester Stallone, the last Rambo, his walker. And uh, it, it would have been over. Like, it would have been over in seconds. It would have been like, hey, I got this, boom, and I'm gone. Why? Because wars are not fought by individuals, but by armies and people. And somewhere along the way, we, we think personal autonomy and it's my life and my faith and my religion and my pursuit of Jesus and it's all about me and Jesus and we've failed to recognize that it's always been about we and Jesus. This is the aim of the gospel and, and, and he highlights this here. We have access to God. We collectively, regardless of our background, regardless of our differences. But he goes on to say, so he, he's showing us here, this is what we share And in light of what we share, the writer wants us to know, okay, then this is what we do. In light of what we share as the people, which is access to God, what do we do? What is the purpose of the gathering? Look what he says in verse number 22. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Look to verse 23. Let us... Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir one another toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's a little phrase there in the latter part of those verses where he says, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing. The writer is directly addressing the idea that church and gathering with the people of God is optional. And he wants the believers to know very clearly, listen, I know that you're suffering and I know that you're persecuted and I know that following Jesus is costing you and for many of you, it's severely. And because of this, many of you are wanting to withdraw from the fellowship. You're wanting to, to stay home on Sunday. You're wanting to take some vacations rather than be with the people of God. And he's saying, listen, as followers of Jesus, because we share in this access to God, the gathering of the people of God is the place where we together can celebrate the that unites us, and that is in the gathering. And listen, uh, over the last couple of months, we've had to meet online. We've had to observe from a distance. I love the fact that even though we are separated, we are drawing near together, that we are gathering together. Now listen, uh, while I love the technology and what we've gotten to experience these past few months, listen, our online venue, once things are back to normal, can never be a substitute for the gathering. You see, the intention is that we are, we are participants. We share in the access to God. Therefore, we gather regularly to be reminded that we, together as the body of Christ, are united by this common access that we have. And Sunday and the gatherings when the people of God come together for worship and gather for small group, it is an opportunity for us to remember that this is what makes us who we are. That we, together, have access into the presence of God. So, so he's, he's emphasizing this. So what do we do? Well, in this passage of Scripture, when he gives the summary of the gospel, therefore, we have this access to God, he gives three let us in the text. Three let us. And these three let us that we see here 
kind of give us the idea of what it is that we are called to do. We, are, we share access to God. So now that we understand this is what unites us, so what do we do? Like how do we walk in this? Well, let me give you three things according to what the writer gives here. In verse 22, the first thing that we need to understand is, is that he wants us to let us pursue the presence of Jesus. Let us pursue the presence of Jesus. He says, therefore, since we have access to God, he applies this in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. When he says at the very end, having uh, our... our uh, Hearts sprinkled clean and, and uh, clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What is he talking about? He is talking about the state of our being before God. That we as the people of God have been cleansed from our sin. We have been made pure in our heart. And so while there are still struggles and sin tendencies, the blood of Christ has fully made us before God spotless like Jesus in his righteousness. And here is what the writer says, because this is the condition of the people of God, then let us draw near to God. Let us take advantage of the access that we have into the presence of God. You see, I have friends that, um, uh, my, my, and y'all know my favorite uh, College football team is the Arkansas Razorbacks, and while we're not very good in this season of life, we remain hopeful, um, and we will continue to remain uh, hopeful. But I've got friends that are season ticket holders, and during the season that we've during a season or seasons that we've not been so good, uh, many of my friends who are season ticket holders they don't go to the game, and and it really kind of sometimes frustrates me because I'm thinking to myself, I mean, you have access. Like you've got a ticket that permits you to go and call the hogs from the sidelines. Yes, we're down four touchdowns, but we're still calling the hogs, and that's a great thing. And you have access to go together with the Razorback Nation, all 400 of us, and you get to call the hogs. You've got a ticket, and you don't exercise. You don't go to the games. I'm like, how crazy is that? Listen, here's a question. How much more crazy is it for us to have direct access as the people of God into the presence of God for us not to take advantage of the privilege that we have to gather collectively as the body of Christ to enter into the presence of God, to draw near to him together. You see, I think the greatest offense that we can give Jesus is to forsake the very thing that he died to give us. That the aim of what Jesus accomplished is to give us the right, to give us the opportunity. And yes, we can worship in our homes. And yes, we can uh, spend time with the Lord. And we should do those things. But, but he has also given us the ability, united in this access, to gather together, to draw near. And as we saw last week in the sermon, that the power of the church of Jesus is not in our programs or our ministries. It is in the very presence of Jesus. And we have the privilege and opportunity to gather together each and every week to draw near. And he's saying, listen, since we are united in this access, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Because the blood of Christ has cleaned us and purified us, let's draw into his presence. Here's the second thing that he gives us. He says, let us pursue the presence of Jesus. Here's number two. Let us hold fast our confession in Jesus. 
Let us hold fast our confession in Jesus. Look what he says in verse number 23. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Here's why. For he who promised is faithful. How many of you believe today that God is faithful, that he keeps his promises? Well, he has promised us that through faith in Jesus Christ, that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that he would not only cleanse us from our sin, he would dwell in us with his spirit, give us access into his presence, and he is the only means by which we can have a hope of eternal life. And here's what we can know confidently, that the one who promised these things is faithful, and he will deliver every single thing that he has promised. And he says, so here's what you need to do. Let us then hold fast our confession of faith. When he says the confession of faith, he's not talking about every single doctrine that we have as Christians, but rather the fundamental doctrine that we have. What is the confession? It's the same confession that we saw a couple of weeks ago in Matthew 16, where Jesus says, who do the people say that I am? And there was all kinds of opinions about Jesus, but then Peter looks at him and says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And it's under this confession that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the son of the living God, that he died for our sins and he resurrected again. This is the means by which we are saved and united as the people of God. This is the foundational confession of our faith. It is this confession that Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. And here's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, listen, because you share in this access to the presence of God, because of the finished work of Jesus, be sure regardless of what comes your way, that you hold fast, that you keep a tight grip on the gospel. Don't abandon the very thing that brings you together. Don't abandon the gospel. You see, these believers were being run out of the community. They were being uh, disowned uh, from their families. They were losing their jobs. They were being cut off from the economics of the community. There was great suffering. And here is what the writer says, regardless of what the cost is, never let go of the gospel. Hold tight your confession of faith. Keep a death grip on it. Here's what I love about this. Um, I saw a video a couple of weeks ago where this uh, gentleman, when he was deciding he was going to go to the, the hang glide um, off some mountains, up off a cliff, and just kind of fly over, which it seems like it would be a really cool thing to do. Um, but what typically happens in these flights is that you have an instructor there who is holding on to the bar, and then below them you have uh, the, the person who is wanting to, to jump on, the, the, the person who's not a professional, they're holding on to the bar, but they are tethered together uh, through this uh, system to where they're harnessed into one another. So while uh, the person below is holding on to the bar, the person who is the instructor who is holding on to the bar up top, they're the person that's really in control. And while the, the one who's below is keeping a tight grip, the truth is it's the one above who is holding them in. I watched this video to where they, they forgot to tether the two together. And about six seconds off after takeoff, for the next two minutes, this guy had to keep a death grip on the bar himself to keep from plummeting to his death because they forgot to tether the two together and and luckily, the man made it with only fracturing a few bones and, and made it through on the other side. But he, here's what I want you to hear in this passage of Scripture. That we do not keep a death grip on the gospel as if we could lose something if we let go. 
but rather we hold on to the gospel knowing that we are tethered to Jesus, that the one above, that he is holding on to us as we hold on to him. This is not about you death gripping something to say, man, if I let go of this, my salvation is lost. It's a matter of you holding on to the thing knowing that the one is holding on to you. And that we have confidence to know right now that while I am holding the gospel and I am I'm wrapped up in the gospel that Jesus and his death and resurrection is the hope of my life and I never need to waver from that. Here is the great hope for me. As I hold on to him, he holds on to me. And as the church of Jesus Christ, as the body of believers... Listen, regardless of what society says, regardless of how offensive the gospel can be, regardless of of what it may cost us to pursue Jesus, here's what we must do. We must hold on to the one who's holding on to us. We must stay tethered to the gospel, recognizing that that is where our hope is found and that the one who promised is faithful. It might be dark today, but listen, dawn is coming and he is going to keep his promises, so we've got to hold on to the faith in Christ. Here is number three. So we, we let us pursue the presence of Jesus. Let us hold fast our confession in Jesus. And then finally, let us inspire one another towards Jesus. Let us inspire one another towards Jesus. Look what he says in verse 24. He says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I love what he says here. Uh, Several different translations of this, and they're all beautiful, and they paint a picture. Uh, Some translations say, let us provoke one another toward love and good deeds. Let us spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us, um, some other, inspire one another toward love and good deeds. And here's the idea. He's saying, listen, you're, you're not in this alone, and we need one another. Like, like the, the Christian life, since we have access to God and because we have this gospel that we're holding on to, because of the stresses of life and the trials of life and the sin tendencies in our heart and because of the difficulties of the journey, that God has united us together so that together we make this journey and we do so not alone. We are united together in Christ. Therefore, we encourage one another. We inspire one another towards Jesus. Look at a couple of words here. He says in verse 24, let us, and then the word consider. If you want to circle a word or highlight a word in your Bible, the word consider means to ponder, to think about it, to to press it into your mind. That's the idea here. It's, It's not just to haphazardly kind of throw things out there to people, but rather it is to think about, to ponder, to imagine. This is the idea, but what do we imagine? He says, let us consider Imagine, ponder, think about how to stir, spur, irritate, inspire, this is the idea, one another toward love and good deeds or toward love and good works. Here is what he says we should do. This is why the gathering of believers, both corporately in worship and then in the groups themselves are so important, is that the command is we need to know one another and walk with one another in the journey. And my mind needs to be thinking of ways, how can I encourage you? How can God use me in your life to provoke you, to stir you, to prod you, to inspire you toward looking more and more like Jesus? And you are doing the same for me. 
And as we gather together, whether it's in the large group or the small group, we're coming into the gathering together, having thought about one another, prayed for one another, imagined ways for us to encourage one another. And I can't tell you how many times this has happened in my life where the right person at the right time just comes alongside of me, puts their arm around me and just says, hey, listen, I've been praying for you today. And I was thinking about some of the stresses you're under and the things that you're dealing with right now. Listen, I don't need to go into the details. I just want you to know that God has laid this verse on my heart for you and they'll speak the verse to me and they'll say a prayer over me. And man, all of a sudden I am encouraged and I want to pursue Jesus all the more because this person considered, imagined, pondered, thought of ways to inspire me toward Jesus. This is why the Christian life cannot be lived in isolation. You see, he says here we should inspire, stir, spur toward Jesus toward love and good works. This is both a love for Jesus and a love for one another and a lifestyle that reflects both of those things. That we should look more and more like Jesus. We should fall more and more in love with Jesus. This is the aim for our gatherings together. This requires proximity. This requires that we let other people into our life and that they let us into their life. This, this requires frequency of getting to know people and being present in the gathering, united with this access that we have. And it, and it, and it demands for us to think about, pray for, and strategize ways that we can speak into each other's life in order to spur us on, to encourage us toward looking more and more like Jesus. And this is God's intention for the church and I don't know what your former experience has been. Maybe you've not experienced this in church. Maybe it's been just the complete opposite, that people uh, really inspired you to get away from the church. Or maybe you, you've just been mediocre. It's like the church has just kind of been a place that you attend, and you've not really seen the full picture of this. Here's what I would encourage you. Here's my prayer for New Beginnings Baptist Church or anyone who is out there observing in whatever community that you live in. When we are able to get back together and gather together, that we would draw near to the presence of Jesus together, that we would hold fast our confession in Jesus together, and that we would inspire one another towards Jesus together, and that through this, we would look more and more like him, that we would love Jesus more. We would love each other more and that we would look more and more like him every single day. There was a historian back in the early church days named Tertullian, and uh, he was a theologian and a, and a scholar and, and a um, historian. He records a lot about the early days of the church right after Jesus' ascension and the, the disciples' days and, and after. And he tells the story about as Christianity grew and as it began to swell in its numbers and more and more people began to gather uh, in uh, the churches who would gather each and every single week, the, the Roman Empire started getting really nervous because all of these believers, all these Christians were gathering together each week and, and there was this, this kind of a new religion and they, they were really uncertain about what it was. And as it was growing... They began to be very concerned. Are they going to rise up against Rome? Are they going to uh, cause some sort of uh, issues in the community that's going to cause uh, disunity within the empire? And so here's what the Roman government did. They sent spies into the gathering. So in the Sunday gathering, these Roman officials would come in and pretend to be seekers of Jesus. And they would write reports to turn into the government about what they discovered. And Tertullian writes this. He says, When they came to the gathering, 
they were blown away. And this is what they said. They said, these Christians who gather as churches are a strange people. And I would agree with that. Christians at times are strange. He says, they're a strange people. They gather together in these houses and in these places of worship. And, 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 and they talk about this man named Jesus. And they, they sing about this man named Jesus. And while Jesus is not present in the room, like they think he could show up at any time. And then they said this, and oh, oh, how they love Jesus. And oh, how they love one another. Could it be said of you and me, as we come to a season where we're looking at transitioning back together as the body of Christ, could it be said of you and me New Beginnings family. Man, those people at New Beginnings are strange. And they gather together and they talk about Jesus. They sing about Jesus. But oh, how they love him. And how they love one another. Church family, I long us to be back and as we make preparation in the house I'm asking you to make preparation in the heart let us draw near let us hold fast and let us inspire one another Father, I thank you that we are united under this banner. That we have access not that I have access, but we access into your presence. Thank you. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. And thank you for the church that you've gathered. Let us pursue you. Let us hold fast to our confession in you and let us inspire one another towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.